This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I hope you had a wonderful week and a joyous celebration as together corporately we all celebrated this Feast of Thankfulness, the National Feast of Thanksgiving. We did things a little differently in our house this year. Um, Of course, each year right before Thanksgiving, I have a business trip that I have to go on. It's always anchored to this week, and uh, it always gives me just a little bit of jet lag just in time for the holiday. Uh, And maybe somewhat uh, driven by that fact and maybe somewhat driven by other factors, my, my wife decided to do things a little differently this year. Instead of that traditional Thanksgiving feast, which she spends three solid days cooking for, she said, you know, if I'm going to do that much cooking, instead of putting it on the national holiday, I want to put it on the feast. And so we postponed it a couple. We did a few family things, uh, played some video, played some, some games and watched a movie and had some snacks for Thanksgiving. But really for us, the celebration is going to come today, uh, later today on the vigil of this major feast, this liturgical feast that closes out the Christian year and prepares us uh, then to re-enter that cycle with the the, the season of Advent. And so um, we're focusing today on what it means for Christ to be King, for our best laid efforts to not really make any difference and for that to be okay because God is the one who's in control. Well, with it being such a busy week and having that that trip that I was gone with and all the preparations, uh, I was as I was meditating on what we should talk about today, I thought that perhaps the best thing to do is to go back and revisit a conversation we had exactly three years ago. Uh, And this conversation came at the height of the pandemic when we were learning very clearly that our efforts to control things really didn't amount to very much. Uh, Really, we saw this worldwide. Globally, we saw this. uh, But I was seeing it in a very particular way that week because I had made preparations to have a a very uh, important guest to come on the show. And that person, the day before we were to talk, went into the hospital uh, with COVID and was on a respirator for quite some time. And as just in, in honor of Thanksgiving and things to be thankful for, he did make a full recovery, but it took a very long time. And so then upon that happening, of course, we, we were praying for him then, and, and uh, I went and found a second guest who also came down with COVID. <laughs> And so we we did make it to finally have a conversation, but there was this sense of uh, not only culturally with the pandemic could we not plan things, but even for me, just to get an hour of conversation, uh, turning that over and realizing that God is the king. So let's listen now to that conversation together. Well, in case you didn't know, uh, things are really out of our control. I mean, we like to think we've got things really well handled, 
that we're good strategists, that we can see what's right around the corner, that we have things planned out and, uh, and we're well prepared for the future. But all it takes is a sudden event uh, to remind us very clearly that we are not in charge. We're not in control. And everything that we think that we have figured out uh, is really just an illusion because ultimately God is in control. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. Think back to the story in the, um, in the Gospels where Jesus is talking about the man who looked at his life and he looked around at everything that he had and he said, you know what, everything's going pretty good. My, my barns are filled and my harvest is overflowing. What, what am I going to do with all of this excess? And he thinks about it. And he says, you know what? I got it figured out. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns to hold all my stuff. And then I'm set for life. All I really need to do is kick back and eat and drink and be merry. He saw all the things that he had, and he saw them as means for his own fulfillment and his own pleasure. And in response to this, Jesus says, you fool, do you not know that your life will be required of you this night? And to whom will all of your things go? Now, this is a rough approximation of, it's not an exact quote, but this is this is a question that we have to look at and evaluate. When we get to a place where we feel secure and we look around and we say, hey, I've done a pretty good job for myself. Uh, what am I going to do with all this extra stuff? We have to examine it and we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what does God want me to do with this stuff? He does have an opinion. What does God want me to do with all of this extra, this surplus and the answer we're going to find in our reading, it's the, the gospel reading for tomorrow that we'll get to here in a bit. Um, but the short answer, and we'll do the long answer as we read scripture, the short answer is that what he wants us to do with it is to look to the good of the kingdom, the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy, to realize that our needs are provided for by the king and that the king uses us to provide for the needs of others. If we look at the things that we have to the exclusion of others and say, this is for me and for me alone, we're saying a couple of things. One, we're saying that I did this. I created this abundance from my work. Look at all I have accomplished. And it doesn't take into account the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from above, that the things that we have, we don't have because we're somehow better than those who don't have. Rather, we have those things because God has given us the grace to have them for a purpose. And the purpose is for the benefit of, of ourselves and the benefit of the kingdom. This is tricky stuff. And that was something that I really wrestled with for a while as I, um, as I found myself in a period of lack a period of, of um, some desert wandering. And in the midst of this, uh, my tendency was to say, well, God is on his throne, everything's going to be okay, and everything's going to turn out rosy, and kind of this Pollyanna picture of things. And, and I've talked about this before on the show. I had to look at this and say, 
but I look at the lives of the saints and I see the hardship that they have and I don't see God necessarily swooping in and rescuing them from their difficulty. I don't see that. And so the kingship of God and the providence of God has to mean something different because he's not going to do for me what he didn't do for his saints. And so if my perspective of God's kingship and of God's goodness relies on my own comfort, then something is off in my picture of God's kingdom and of God's rule and his reign. Rather, I should look at at my situation and I should look at the lives of the saints and draw courage from the lives of the saints because in the midst of their difficulty— They humbled themselves. They recognized the providence of God. They trusted in him for those things which are imperishable. Uh, Scripture says, Jesus says again, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where thief breaks in and moth destroys and rust destroys. Uh, Rather, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and thief does not break in and steal. So this, this is what we as members of the kingdom of God are called to do. When we have our storehouses full, to look and to say, how do I store up for myself my treasures, not on earth, but in heaven? What do I do to store up all of these good things that I have around me and store them up in a way that they will last? And I do that, of course, by giving it over to the stewardship of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is just one aspect of what it means for Christ to be king. Christ is king over our resources. He's the one who who gives us every good and perfect gift and provides for our needs as our king and provides our protection as our king. But his kingship goes beyond just the things that we possess— and comes down to the the place, the very place of our will and of our obedience. God comes to us not merely as uh, the the protector, but also as the the commander, the one who gives us direction and and puts us on a path, not for merely our own good but again for the building up of his kingdom. And this is part of the prayer that we pray that he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this prayer is asking that God would, through this prayer, use us to bring about his kingdom on earth and to bring about his kingdom in our very lives. We read this, this was the reading from the breviary for for the Feast of Christ the King was this homily by origin that we read a couple of weeks ago. And bringing about the kingdom of God starts by living out the kingdom of God in our life, by having the microcosm of the kingdom of God, recognizing the kingship of God in my life and allowing him to rule in all of the places that that I might not want him to rule, all the places that are personal, that I, that I want to have some amount of control over. This is where Jesus Christ, king of the universe, this is where the rubber meets the road. Am I willing to acknowledge him as king when his kingship uh, imposes certain things on me rather than simply ordering the world around me? Here is the true test of, of our participation in the kingdom of God. Will I submit 
to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Well, this is such a big topic with so many different directions we could go. I don't want to talk about it all by myself. And so now let's invite into our conversation Deacon Charles Beard. Uh, We've had him on the show before. He's a deacon for the Diocese of Tulsa. He's also a member of uh, the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Society. Charles, thanks for being with us. Happy to be back. Thanks, D.L. I always like coming to you when I want to talk about something subver- subversive. And that, that really, that's kind of our, our origin story, you and me. Um, <laughs> we, we were in diaconate aspiration together. You, of course, made it all the way through, and I moved away to the hinterlands. Um, but, but our first interactions were um, kind of iron sharpening iron in the truest sense. We like to think of that word as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We have this really pretty picture of that, but it's really not a pretty process. Uh, but the results are fantastic. And, and, and I would say that that's uh, kind of a picture of you and me. I wanted to talk to you today about the Feast of Christ the King, which we celebrate tomorrow. Jesus Christ, the solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe, can't get much bigger than that. Uh, sure. it, it's a feast. It's a fairly re- uh, relatively recent feast. Uh, it came about in the what, mid-20s, something around that. 1925. Days. Exactly the mid twenties, right? Yes, yes, right there, <laughs> right there. <laughs> and and I think that um, we a lot of times gloss over it. We like the pictures of Jesus with the crown and the scepter. Uh, we like to th- think of the pomp and the circumstance, but I don't think that we in our democratic society really have a sense, a grounded sense, of what it means for Christ to be Jesus Christ, the King of the Universe, the supreme leader, ruler, uh, in, in, in a very political sense, because this is political terminology, this terminology of monarchy. So we, we like to think of Christ the King as being sitting on his throne, providing us comfort when we are maybe a little bit nervous or a little bit worried about something. Oh, well, Jesus is on his throne, right? I don't have to be so worried because God's on his throne. And we think about Christ the King in, in those terms of being a, a protector and a coverer and a, and, um, and a ruler of the things that affect us, but we don't often take the time to think about what it means for Christ to be the King of the universe and having rule and reign and sway and right to demand certain things even from us. Yes. Well, you know, we, uh, every, every person I think is the hero of their own story. We all like to, to talk to ourselves and, and, uh, or at least I do. And, and we, we like to say, oh, you know, we're, we're in charge, but, but if we're honest with ourselves, uh, none of us are in charge. And when we talk about Christ being the King, the King has the right to appoint his own court. Yeah. And that sounds great if you get to be the Duke or something, um, <laughs> But but most of us in the grand scheme of providence uh, aren't the duke, you know. Yeah. Maybe we're the janitor, um, and uh, maybe we think we should be the duke. Mm-hmm. But when we allow Christ to be the king, we give him we we cede to him. Well, we don't cede to him; he has it. Right. He has the right, and we and we cooperate with the right to appoint us janitor instead of duke, as we really deserve to be, and or, or so we think. Um, and that that's that's uncomfortable. Um, we uh, we can we can kind of do those uh, 
Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with the I'm gonna end the gender metaphor now. I'm gonna switch to court jester because it's a uh, it's more regal. But uh, <laughs> we can maybe think we're doing our court jesterly duties, and we can kind of seethe and think, well, you know, if he if he had really appointed me the duke or the prime minister, I you know I would really get things done. He should have put me in charge. Um, but but what what is really holy to Christ is do is being the court jester that he needs us to be. Mm-hmm. And what's really mysterious about his kingship is that being the court jester, not in a, in a, a condescending sense, but in a real sense is every bit as important as being an important player. Yeah. Um, we don't have to understand how uh, because he's the king and we're not, but we do trust that he is a good king and that therefore it is. You know, uh, this brings to mind St. Therese and her little way. And this this picture of not thinking, and, and of course St. Paul says this as well, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. We've got these grand pictures of who we are and how important we are. And, that, and I think social media has made this even more prevalent, that our opinion is worth sharing and everyone ought to agree with that opinion. And, and I have an obligation— to, to everyone who's listening, to share what my opinion is so that you can either agree with me or you can prove to, to me that you don't deserve to be listened to. Right? That, that <laughs> seems to be the general sense of things. And, and for Christ to be the king of the universe really puts us, if we take the time to really examine it, puts us in our place to say, you know, is it really all that important for me to share this opinion? Is it really that important for me to fill up the air and the space or do I leave space for Christ to enter into this conversation and take me places that I might not otherwise want to go? I mean, even Peter, right? The, the, uh, the first among equals, the, the chief of the apostles, even Peter, Jesus said to him, uh, people are going to lead you where you don't want to go. Right. How much more would that be true than of us? Exactly. And you, you talked about uh, speaking and kind of airing the opinions and, and you and I, we, we certainly have a lot of opinions. Um, uh, and, um, you know, we both speak for a living, so maybe we shouldn't speak, say too loudly that we shouldn't speak. Uh, but all, all of that, all of that being said, um, I've been reading some of the, the sayings of the Desert Fathers, and there's a whole chapter, it's the longest chapter so far that I've read about how, you know, Abba so-and-so didn't speak for 60 years. You know, Abba so-and-so said three words in 40 years. It, and it sounds kind of silly. Well, but if you think of Christ as the king, mm-hmm. uh, the, the king gets to set the subject of the conversation. You don't speak to the king until he speaks to you first. I know this because I'm a fan of the crown. Um, <laughs> but, he, but by waiting in silence, uh, we get to be the servant that he needs us to be because he sets the directions. And I think in some ways for us to... Uh, to, you, with the kids, we've been reading um, and we're about to memorize with them um, the third and fourth chapter of the book of James, <clears throat> talking about bridling the tongue and how how the tongue really can't both bless and curse and that we have to really um, to, to tame our tongue and to really uh, take the time to uh, to put it in its place as we put ourselves in our place. And this idea of saying, okay, well, I've got this thought but I'm not going to express it. I'm going to, even though I want so desperately to express it, I'm not going to express it in this place 
because it's probably not worth it, even though it would make me feel better. It's probably more effective for the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God at this juncture for me to remain silent. And the, and the king, the, just the way you, you phrase that, I love it. Uh, you're prioritizing the kingdom of God over what you want, which is so foreign to to our nature. Uh, we want we want the instant gratification. Uh, we want the cone of ice cream. Um, but if holiness comes through self denial, again, I'm thinking of the Desert Fathers. They were doing self denial of the body, um, but the holding your tongue or um, not saying what you really think or even expressing what you would like to say very differently. Um, the, that is self-mortification and leads to holiness just as much as prayer and almsgiving and fasting. You know, holiness, I think, often comes, and of course Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I think that holiness becomes evident to us and begins to manifest itself in our lives precisely at that place where we begin to do the things that we would rather not to do, right? Mm -hmm. We would would rather not deny ourselves. Specifically, I think this is true in the West more than anywhere else. We, um, in this democracy— uh, we even even in a representative democracy, we have say in in what we want done in our culture, and and in the midst even in the midst of this crazy election cycle, um, we have preferences of what we'd like to see done, and, and and there's been some contention after the fact as we continue to push on that, and yet being members of the kingdom of God, we don't really get a say in what the kingdom is in terms of a, a monarchy, and which Christ is the supreme ruler, he's the king of the universe. We are subjects of the king, and we help to build the king like like good serfs, right? We're, we're building the kingdom <laughs> of God, but we don't necessarily, and, and, and really we don't at all, have a say in what that should look like, only a responsibility to help bring it about. Right. And, and that— that sounds, um, it is difficult and it, it sounds kind of dire. Uh, but Thomas Merton talks, but Thomas Merton talks about how, how freeing that is, um, that he just gets to be a monk. He doesn't have to make the call about, uh, you know, where do we build this new outbuilding for the novices? That's not his call. His call is to say his prayers and to work in the garden and be done with it. Um, I, uh, this may be a personality thing on on my part. I have avoided uh, management in my day job because I find it freeing. I just get to go do my job. Yeah. Um, and that now somebody has to be the manager, and that's certainly a very difficult thing. But uh, to aspire to be the king is uh, not always an entirely positive thing, especially in the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. So now let's let's take that uh, just a little bit to the direction of your spiritual life as a deacon in the church, one of the promises that you make is a promise of obedience to your bishop and to his successors. And that's a promise that you renew uh, every year. So uh, in, in some way, you have a clearer picture than than most of us of what it looks like to be in a kingdom. Because most of us, um, we, we have to obey our boss, but that's just until we find a better job and we can complain right. about our boss behind our behind their back. Uh, as as making a promise of obedience to this uh, the successor to the apostles, the bishop of your diocese, 
there's a, a true and real sense of recognizing a hierarchy and a place and an order uh, within a kingdom. Can you help those of us who haven't been through that place to understand a little bit of, about what that does in your spirit and what that looks like? Uh, I could try. Uh, a couple things. The, the, the promises to the bishop and the successors, which takes a fair amount of trust because I know this bishop. I like this bishop, especially if he's listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> but I have no idea what his successors are going to be like. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have just, there's no way I could know. Right. And so by promising to obey both him and his successors, um, I'm, I'm throwing up my hands and, uh, letting somebody else guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, the other thing is that the promise is not really to the bishop and his successors. The promise is to God, mm-hmm. um, which means that even if the next bishop, you know, if I don't get along with the next bishop or if the bishop is, you know, taking the diocese in a different direction than I would prefer, you know, none of that matters. My promise is to God. And so if I'm faithful to that, God rewards that in me and will therefore reward my ministry in whatever way he wants to do it in whatever way God wants to do it. And, and I think that that's, that long view is so important for us as we look at obedience in, in any way, because we tend to think of of the immediate. Uh, we like to see things done quickly. We like to see the immediate. And we don't often have this eternal perspective of, here I am in a situation that I don't like at all, and I have no control over this situation at all. And, and Christ is king, but in his kingship, he is permitting or directing this thing that I don't like at all to occur. And yet it's all for my good. It's all for the good of the kingdom and it's all for the good of, of my spiritual development as well. And and that's a, a picture that, that eternal perspective I think is really essential as we look at what it means to be obedient to Christ who is the King. I think it also helps kind of make sense of what obedience looks like as the church kind of reels from from the, these corruption and cover-up scandals that we're, that we're continuing to deal with, uh, sadly. Because, because the, the, the promise is ultimately to God, that doesn't mean that the deacon or the priest or the lay, certainly the layperson – uh, lacks the authority to speak up on issues of justice. You know, we can and we must do that. Yeah. It does perhaps impact the way in which one does that. Um, but uh, the the promise of obedience is not a, it's it's not a blind obedience and certainly not an obedience to do something wrong. Right. Um, so uh, Maximilian Kolbe's uh, saying was, uh, you must obey the superior in all things, even when the superior is wrong, unless the superior commands you to do something that even in the smallest way contravenes the divine law, because the promise is to God before it's even to the bishop. You know, that's a really good point. And I love that reading. We're actually going to, because you brought that up, I'm going to do that reading at the, uh, at the end of the show here, as we do our reading from scripture and from church history. Today, we're revisiting a conversation we had with Deacon Charles Beard, who is a deacon of the Diocese of Tulsa, currently serving at St. Pius X Catholic Church and a member of the Stanley, Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker. 
Don't go anywhere because there is so much more to this conversation right after this break. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On threads, the handle is at step outside the walls. And we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today, we're revisiting a conversation we have with Deacon Charles Beard, who currently serves at St. Pius X Catholic Church in Tulsa, member of the uh, the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Society. And I always get that wrong. It's not society. What is it? Catholic Worker It's movement. just Catholic Worker. It needs a it's thing. Part- the thing is the thing. The thing, the thing is, the, it's like Catholic worker is like, those are both, uh, I don't know, it needs that that solid anchored noun. The, generally, it's a, the Catholic worker movement. Movement. But I I think we call our group just Catholic worker. Yeah. It's or a thing. CW. C-dub. <laughs> I think that one's already trademarked, man. It's a television oh. thing. Is it? Uh, yeah. Oh, you're right. It yeah. is. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I live under a rock, TL. Well, yeah, it's true. Uh, like the Desert Fathers. We're, <laughs> we're talking today about the Feast of Christ the King and the implications thereof that Christ is the Jesus Christ is the King of the universe, if you look at the full title of the solemnity. And what does that mean, as we are definitely part of that universe, part of that kingdom? Uh, how do we live out that life as a subject, right? We like to think of ourselves as members or citizens, but uh, while that's true, we're also subjects of the kingdom of God, and that's sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes a little bit unnerving. We we like to think of Jesus Christ being the king of the universe in the grand sense of moving the, the swoops and swaths of life, uh, of orchestrating nations and, and nation building and directing the course of time. We like it a little bit less when that kingship makes demands not only of the direction of our lives, but sometimes the habits of our lives. And uh, Deacon Charles, you and I were talking a little bit about that in the middle of the break, how you have come a little bit through this process of working with a spiritual director to experience that kingship and uh, being subject to his kingdom in a really uncomfortable uh, way with social media. Tell us... Sure. sure. Uh, I I happen to be Facebook friends with my spiritual director, and and he he also has a fairly robust social media presence. So he and I talk about you know kind of the 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 minefield of doing that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, so one thing I've I've done is I've put myself under obedience to him. He's my spiritual director. I've said, listen, if if you see something that I post that uh, if I say something wrong or if I uh, say something in a impolite or an impolitic way, or if I'm just a jerk, uh, tell me and I will take that down. Now, if somebody else says, Hey, you've offended me with that post. I'm not necessarily going to listen to that because maybe, maybe they're overly sensitive. Maybe I am a jerk. You know, there's a lot of back and forth or different ways you can think about that. Uh, But I put myself directly under his supervision and say, okay, I trust you enough to tell me when I've stepped over some line or other. 
Um, so even if I disagree with it, even if I think that particular post is fine, I'll do it. And here's an he interesting. Has not done that. He has not done that. So I, you know, maybe I. <laughs> so far, so good. It's okay. So far, so good. Yeah, here's an interesting thing because we might do something like that. You know, my wife obviously is is mine. She keeps a pretty close watch on what I say, and <laughs> and and it, I'm, I'm much better imagine. about it than I used to be. But it, but at one point in time, you know, there were there were some occasions where she said, you know, I don't think that came across like you thought it did. But mm-hmm. but even in those situations, with our spouse or with a friend. Um, there's the option to say, well, I disagree with you, right? I'm, I, right. I hear you, but I disagree. I'm going to leave it up because I'm, cause I'm going to do it, right? Um, there's It's my Facebook wall, gosh darn it. <laughs> right. It's my domain. Right. Uh, there is this, there's this thing to binding yourself to obedience to someone else's opinion that, that we're really... I mean, that's a big step. And I think it's a good step for all of us to take. We were talking to the break. I think everyone ought to have a spiritual director if they're going to have a social media account. Yes. Um, before you get on Twitter, get a spiritual director. That's the takeaway. Folks. That's, that's important. I mean, that's essential, specifically Twitter uh, or YouTube. <laughs> Can't make a YouTube comment without first passing it through your spiritual director. Uh, but, you know, we have these people that we trust and you mentioned giving that permission to your spiritual director. We have people that we trust, but even then we use them sometimes as a litmus test to bounce our conscience off of, to see if we agree with them. We still end up oftentimes being the final arbiter of whether or not we're going to do something. And this, this idea that you have put forward of, of offering obedience to your spiritual director in this way, even a small way like this is to say, I am not the final arbiter and I might even disagree with you that it should come down. And yet, because I'm a member of a kingdom, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. Right. That's crazy. Uh, That's that's crazy talk. You know, it it is, it is, uh, as as an American, every, every little bit of me militates against it. Um, (laughs) but you know, it's also not that unusual. You and I are both married. Uh, and you you mentioned that sometimes your wife will say, I don't, I don't know if that came across the way you, you think, you know, sometimes peace in the marriage is more important than your opinion. Um, at least that's something I found. Uh, and so we put ourselves, what is it Paul says, mutually submit to one another. So mm-hmm. at a minimum, uh, everyone who's married, everyone who's part of a family should have some sense of the kingship of Christ just by virtue of living out that sacrament. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and yes, but, you know, there are, uh, we live in a culture that does not necessarily do family well. Uh, And there are a lot of people whose families have not been a paragon of excellence or or a picture or reflection of the kingdom of God. Uh, And so people may hear that and they may be hearing this conversation and thinking about the, the iron fist will of their parent who it's my way or the highway. Uh, and, and then impose that on, on this picture of who God is as King of the universe, Jesus Christ, King of the universe, uh, in his kingship, Jesus Christ never loses the essential character of mercy and love. And yet we still have an obligation to obey. In fact, when we come into mass, uh, we say, um, the Lord be with you and also with you lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Uh, let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right and just, right? 
we owe it. It's just. It is justice and owed to God for us to do this, for us to lift our hearts up to him. And yet at the same time, he doesn't come down hard on us when mm. we don't do that. Uh, it's not it's not the uh, the overbearing parent who is ready to explode when we disobey. Uh, and even, even so, we still owe him obedience, but he responds to our disobedience in a merciful and and um and embracing kind of a way right i mean just look at the cross christ is king of the universe on the cross dying for love of us mm-hmm. uh he's not just king of the universe in the great big icon with the triple crown and the angels and all of that stuff he's he's king of the universe perhaps especially in that act of self-immolation where he he you know lays down his life for our sake mm-hmm. now this whole feast started in 1925, a very recent feast, was put in place for a specific reason. And I think that it's a reason that's very much appropriate for us to take a look at now. Uh, It was put in place because the people of the church who belong to the church, who are in this universal church, began identifying too closely with their nation of origin and with political powers. And trying to advance a political agenda rather than saying we are members of the body of Christ. And and this is a problem, and the Pope wanted to address this problem because when we try to push forward our own agenda or our own political will or our own kingdom, we do so only by segmenting the kingdom of God, by making it smaller, not by making it bigger, by making it um, more uh, you versus us rather than we who belong to Christ together. Right. Uh, I'm just going to read just a sentence or so from from the uh, the document of Pius XI that instituted the feast. It's called Quas Primas, and it says at the beginning, uh, we remember saying that the manifold evils in the world were due to the fact that the majority of men had thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives, that these had no place either in private affairs or in politics. And we said further that as long as individuals and states refuse to submit to the rule of our Savior, there would be really no hopeful prospect of lasting peace among the nations. So, you know, this is what, seven years after the end of the First World War, um, it's looking like there might be another war not too far on the horizon. Where, where does this peace that, that was so completely shattered come from? Um, it can only be found in Christ, uh, not in not in power, not in um, not in policy, uh, not in ideology, uh, not in nation, uh, not in flag, not in um, any of these things, but only in Christ. Um, and he makes a he makes a point later in that same letter of saying that doesn't mean that we're you know going to establish some you know church theocracy. He's explicitly mm-hmm. rejecting that, um, he, he, but he he is saying that. Our, our societies need, need to begin to ask themselves what kind of society would Christ himself like to live in um, when, we're, when we're formulating these policies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that begins to take us away from, from what we generally think of as government and society, which is uh, either uh, you know, contractual, transactional relationships or exercises of pure power. Um, and love has no place in either one of those. 
this is a really interesting thing because we, and, and he mentions this, I think, in this document as well, we as Catholics have a right and a responsibility to be politically engaged in our culture. This is, this is good. We want to advance the kingdom of God in whatever way we can. Uh, and, and yet there's this balance that we have to walk because the, the temptation is to throw all of our eggs in the basket of politics to achieve the things that the kingdom of God needs. Uh, and yet at the same time, if we put all of our eggs into that basket— we begin to shift our allegiance from Christ the King to our political will. Uh, and, and that takes us spiritually into a place that we see the children of Israel at the very beginning uh, of, their, of their life as a people um, try and get a, a king to rule over them so that they can be like the other nations. If I can just get this person elected, if I can just get this law in place, if we can just get the court in just this right way— all will be right with the world, when the truth of the matter is, yeah, we might want to have certain policies enacted for the good of, of our nation and for the, the order of life to be together, but ultimately, all will only be well when Christ is on his throne. Uh, I, I think the uh, after Vatican II, they, they shifted the, the, the meaning of the Feast of Christ thinking a little bit. Um, before the council, in, you know, under Quas Primus, it was very much about uh, almost exclusively about, I think, the the social kingship of Christ. Like, let's let's build our societies, including our politics, kind of on this uh, on this model. Um, but uh, after Vatican II, we we kept that that same emphasis, but we also included that that will only be completed at the end of the age when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. Um, so that helps us keep these th- those political battles that you mentioned in in the proper perspective. I mean, the injustices in this world are are real and terrible and and tragic and must be fought against. Uh, you know, specifically and perhaps especially uh, the issue of abortion, where you know many hundreds of thousands of abortions have occurred in this country just in the last few years. Um, you th- think also of the poor. I work with the poor and Catholic worker, and, and some of the stories they tell me will, will break your heart of how they've been treated from from birth on. Um, and so you must fight against those injustices, but uh, but there's a there's a distinction between fighting against that, that injustice and thinking that the kingdom consists in fighting those injustices. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't. The, the 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 kingdom consists in the fruits of spirit: you know, love, joy, peace, mercy. I can't remember all of them, um, and those will only be finally established at the end of the age. And, and even we, as, can, we continue to work in the meantime, but right, but we're not obligated to complete it. Well, and and I think that this is another thing we cannot complete it. We can do what we can do. We can advance the kingdom of God. We can grow in holiness ourselves. But ultimately, if unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. That's my bishop's motto. That's why uh, I, that was completely on purpose, uh, except it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, unless oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that there's this this need for us as subjects of the kingdom of God to take a step back from all of our striving and say, "Am I currently doing the things, obeying in the little things that Christ is asking me to do, 
Or do I have a sense of the scope of history and I'm anticipating and, and jumping the gun and doing things that, that may not be mine to do? You know, I have this picture and this understanding of, of where through divine revelation history is going. And yet at the same time, I don't have a picture of every single tiny little thing that God is asking me to do unless I take the time and step back and breathe and listen. I mean, even Jesus, who who is of one substance, consubstantial with the Father, even Jesus went away to a remote place to pray so that he could hear what the Father was doing. And then he would say, I only do what I see the Father doing. The book of Hebrews, um, this is a verse that has haunted me for the, the whole of my adult life. Uh, Hebrews 5.8, just right out in the middle of, the, of nowhere as it's talking about Christ as the high priest, it says, although he was a son, he, Christ, learned obedience uh, through the things that he suffered, right? And so if Christ had to learn obedience to be king of the universe, how much more should we learn obedience in the little things for the sake of the kingdom of God? Learned obedience to what he suffered. I, I think obedience in Latin uh, is something like alba dire, which means to to listen, essentially. And so if we're willing to listen to the Father, um, manifested in innumerable ways through the, through those we meet, through our superiors, through our subordinates, um, then we will begin to be in better shape. But we must first listen before we do. We're talking today with Charles Beard, deacon in the Diocese of Tulsa. Charles, thanks for being with us again today. Pleasure as always, TL. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Charles or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com, including this one. Uh, as always, there is extra content. I had a little bit more of my conversation with Charles that I make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, our Patreon community is a great community that helps keep us on the air. And, and in gratitude, uh, I like to give some extra goodies. Uh, we've got extra segments each and every week uh, and some other things that are there as well. Go take a look by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Take a look in the top right corner of that page and you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click on that link and you'll see some posts that are there for you to take a look at, get a sense of what's going on, and some other posts that are super secret and reserved just for the support community. Become a part of that community and get all the perks as well as keeping this show going week after week. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Do love my Verbum Library, and you can get yours by going to Verbum.com. You can try it out for free for 30 days and then find the level that suits you best, uh, and you and I can read along together. We're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. This is the reading for Christ the King Sunday. It's the Gospel. Jesus said to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. Then he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? The king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? And he will answer them. Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do it for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That reading, difficult reading, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And looking at that and kind of comparing and contrasting it with the, uh, the, with the passage that we paraphrased earlier of the man who, who looked at all of his riches and said, I'm just going to kick back and enjoy. I'm going to store everything up and I'm going to be good. This is how we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, by taking those resources and those gifts and those talents and those times and attention that we have and pouring them out like an offering for the sake of others. For the least of these, the brethren of Christ, as we do it to them, so too we do it to Christ himself. And all of these things, the stuff that we have, it's going to rust and decay, and it's fleeting. But if we use it wisely for the sake of the kingdom of God and do to the least of these as we would do to Christ, then we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. As I said earlier in the show, our reading from church history is going to come from that reading that Charles mentioned from St. Maximilian Kolbe. It is sad to see how in our times the disease called indifferentism is spreading in all its forms, not just among those in the world, but also among the members of religious orders. But indeed, since God is worthy of infinite glory, it is our first and most pressing duty to give him such glory as we and our weakness can manage, even that we would never, poor exiled creatures that we are, be able to render him such glory as he truly deserves. Because God's glory shines through most brightly in the salvation of souls that Christ redeemed with his own blood, let it be the chief concern of the apostolic life to bring salvation and an increase in holiness to as many souls as possible. 
let me briefly outline the best way to achieve this end, both for the glory of God and for the sanctification of the greatest number. God, who is infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom, knows perfectly what is to be done to give him glory, and in the clearest way possible makes his will known to us through his vice-regents on earth. It is obedience, and obedience alone that shows us God's will with certainty. Of course, our superiors may err, but it cannot happen that we, holding fast to our obedience, should be led into error by this. There's only one exception. If the superior commands something that would obviously involve breaking God's law, however slightly, in that case the superior could not be acting as a faithful interpreter of God's will. God himself is the one infinite, wise, holy, and merciful Lord, our Creator and our Father, the beginning and the end, wisdom, power, and love. God is all these things. Anything that is apart from God has value only insofar as it is brought back to him, the founder of all things, the redeemer of mankind, the final end of all creation. Thus, he makes his holy will known to us through his vice-regents on earth and draws us to himself and through us, for he is so willed, draws other souls too and unites them to himself with an ever more perfect love. See then, brother, the tremendous honor of the position that God in his kindness has placed us in. Through obedience, we transcend our own limitations and align ourselves with God's will, which, with infinite wisdom and prudence, guides us to do what is best. Moreover, as we become filled with the divine will, which no created thing can resist, so we become stronger than all others." This is the path of wisdom and prudence. This is the one way by which we can come to give God the highest glory. After all, if there had been another better way, Christ would certainly have shown it to us by word and by example. But in fact, sacred scripture wraps up his entire long life in Nazareth with the words, And he was obedient to them. And it shows the rest of his life to have been passed in similar obedience almost as an instruction to us, by showing how he came down to earth to do the Father's will. Brethren, let us love him above all, our most loving Heavenly Father, and let our obedience be a sign of this perfect love, especially when we have to sacrifice our own wills in the process. And as for a book from which to learn how to grow in the love of God, there is no better book than Christ crucified. All this we will achieve more easily through the intercession of the Immaculate Virgin, to whom the Most Kind God has given the task of dispensing His mercies. There is no doubt that the will of Mary should be the will of God for us. When we dedicate ourselves to Him, we become tools in Her hands, just as she became a tool in His. Let us let her direct us and lead us by the hand. Let us be calm and serene under her guidance. She will foresee all things for us, provide all things, swiftly fulfill our needs, both bodily and spiritual, and keep away from us all difficulty and suffering. That reading comes from St. Maximilian Kolbe, and St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. 
that we would be obedient to the will of God the Father and of Jesus Christ, King of the universe. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Susan Wise and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link to join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.